Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Overcoming Evil by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we are aware that you're always speaking. And so, Lord, I would pray that our ears would be open and our hearts would be open to you today. Lord, I pray that you would speak into each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've got your Bible, you'd like to meet me in Romans chapter 12. We... Just a little bit of a heads up where we're going. Uh, Romans, we will finish very shortly, perhaps in the next week or so. The reason is the last four chapters of Romans, 13 through to 16, uh, pretty much cover off, we've already covered most of what's already in there. Um, So we will cover off Romans very quickly. Uh, Of course, we come around Easter in the next couple of weeks. And in May uh, this year, just to give you a heads up, we will be having our Overcomers Month in May again. And it was a raging success last year. for me and Reuben anyway, because we were the only two here. But uh, everybody seemed to enjoy Overcomers Month. So this year we're going to look at a few topics because Christ has called us to be overcomers. Amen? Amen. We are actually called to overcome. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But uh, under that heading, we, this year we would like to look at such things as overcoming the flesh. There's a beauty. Overcoming anxiety and worry. And then I want to do a two-part series on overcoming confusion. I think the greatest weapon the enemy uses against the church is confusion. If you're sitting here thinking to yourself, how do I know God's will? How can I hear God's voice? How can I make wise decisions? Might be We're going to debunk a few myths over a couple of weeks so that we can become overcomers, so that we can no longer be subject to confusion. I believe that many of us uh, are like a boat that sometimes we sail off from the shore without any compass or bearings. And God has given us clear bearings and God has given us a clear compass by which we can navigate life. So join in in May. Of course, it's also a five-week month, which means at the end we will have our healing service. That's just to let you know where we're going. Uh, most people will know, today I want to talk about overcoming evil, and I kind of want to round off this little section in Romans chapter 12. Uh, most will know that when I was in Tassie, I used to play football. I used to love playing real football. Uh, that's where we kick the ball. We don't throw it. Um, back, uh, back in uh, Tasmania, country football. But uh, there was a time when... Uh, what, one thing I love about football is, when you run out onto the field, by the way, uh, both teams are wearing Guernseys. There's no mistake who's on your team, and there's no mistake who's on the other team. And in football, you can't get that wrong because if you lay out one of your own team members, they don't invite you back. However, uh, I remember I was playing for one team and after a period of time and a serious argument with the coach, I decided it was time to move teams. And so uh, I decided I was going to move teams. I went and signed up with a team that uh, a mate of mine was playing with. I got all excited and they said, when can you start playing? I said, I can start playing this week. But I didn't look at the roster. And my first game was against my old team. And when I ran out on the field, there was no mistake which side I was on. They let me know. I let them know. And at the end of the day, the scoreboard let us all know. (laughs) However, uh, I believe 2,000 years ago, Jesus came with a very powerful statement. And he said, I've not come to bring peace on the earth, but a sword, division. I've come to set a father against his son and a daughter against her mother. And what Jesus was saying is, I've come to draw a line in the sand. You don't wear the umpire's uniform anymore. You're either on this side or this side. By the way, the umpires in Tasmania are just as endangered species as those that are playing. 
turns out. I believe there are two sides. I believe Jesus rubbed out the grey. I believe Jesus and the call on each one of our lives is to choose Aside, I want to talk a little bit more about that today because the, the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ has divided a line in history and now you must choose a side. There's no mistake which side you're on. There's no, as Ron Canola used to say, there's no demilitarised zone. You're either on one side or the other. Uh, fascinated by, I read a lot of biographies and I was fascinated by a biography by uh, about a man by Eric Metaxas, by, uh, about a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Most people will have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But something astounded me about Dietrich Bonhoeffer because Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, for those who don't know, was a German pastor at the time of Adolf Hitler. And right in the early days, right before Hitler was anything of a name that anybody knew, he was putting his hand up and going, you've got to watch this guy. He, there's some serious problems with his uh, fascist ideas. And Bonhoeffer was on radio. Bonhoeffer was speaking out against all the other... You've got to watch Hitler. Hitler finally gets into power. Now, by the time Hitler's got into power, he's made a few in, instrumental kind of changes, you know, it's kind of, it weren't really a big bearing on the church, he, he, he was kind of targeting the gypsies, he was kind of targeting, you know, the, 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 sometimes the, the homosexual groups and others like that, and all of the church said, you know, this doesn't really phase us. Then he took power in 1939, and the state took control of the church, and everybody turned around to Bonhoeffer and went, what have we done? What have we done? Now, when you read the biography of um, Bonhoeffer, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of uh, radical stuff in there. I mean, he was he was trying to knock Hitler off, and I don't know if I blame him. Um, but what I learned from Bonhoeffer, do you know, if you read about that time, there were many people that hated Hitler. There were many people that spoke out against Hitler. There were many people that had many ideas about Hitler. But Bonhoeffer got under his skin. Bonhoeffer somehow got right under Hitler's skin to the point where when the Allies were storming Berlin and Hitler knew that his time was short, his last command before he shot himself was, kill Bonhoeffer. To his prominent man, he says, kill Bonhoeffer. There's a passage in Romans chapter 12, which I sometimes wonder whether we misunderstand. And it stuck out to me when I was reading this. Just before we get to the last verse in chapter 12 of verse 21, he says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, often, and I used to think this as well. I used to think, well, this is great. If I, if I show you love, then I'm just going to fetch it into you. You know, that's the, that's the kind of mentality. Oh, I'll get you. But that's not really, I don't think that's what Paul means here by this. Because all references in scripture to fire and coals are a reference to the awesome divine presence of God. What's Paul saying? And we're going to read the list in a moment. Paul's saying, when you do these things, you are bringing the divine, awesome presence of God to bear on the world around you. Bonhoeffer got under Hitler's skin. Why? Because he brought the presence of God to bear on a very evil regime. We are called to do the same thing. Now, I'm not, I'm not one for lists. Uh, how many of us males, when we go to the supermarket and we say to our wives, well, what do you want from the supermarket? How many of us know that by the time they get to the third item, we've forgotten the first two? <laughs> Preach it. Okay, over here. But uh, uh, 
I'm not one for lists, and Paul gives us a pretty exhaustive list of the marks of true Christianity. So I've kind of rounded them down to three headlines that everything else comes under, like, like let love be genuine, let love one another, because when you love one another, you know what, it's not, if you're loving one another, you're showing honour, which is a part of the list, and, and you're loving one another with brotherly affection. And you know what, when we have the fire of God burning inside of us, when, when we're passionately alive for Christ, you will endure uh, affliction patiently and tribulation. You will be constant in prayer. And when we grab hold of the last verse in chapter 12, I believe we are doing these things. Let's read this list out, shall we? Bless those who persecute you. Uh, Jesus, you were radical. Jesus stepped into the first century with a very radical message and a very radical approach. But what I love about Jesus is if he was sitting with the tax collectors, if he was talking to the Pharisees, if he was talking to a woman at the world, if he was talking to a blind man, it didn't matter. He brought the divine presence of God to bear on that person. He changed people around him. Jesus had an effect on people just by the way he lived. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Celebrate with those who are doing well. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. These are easy words to say, by the way. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Say hello to the pastor every once in a while. Never be wise in your own sight. (laughs) There's one for pastors. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Uh, I would encourage people to grab hold of uh, both the movie and the biography of Bonhoeffer because although he was jailed for a long time and mistreated heinously, when they marched him to the gallows, the words that he spoke, this is not the ending, it is just the beginning, deeply impacted the soldiers that led him there. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil. Very powerful verse, but overcome evil with good. I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but we happen to live in a very evil time. (laughs) However, Ecclesiastes is quite right because Ecclesiastes tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. You go back 2,000 years, you go back 4,000 years. And you will find that the, the times were evil. It doesn't matter. You go back all the way to the time of Noah. God was, things, the intentions of man's heart, says Genesis chapters 6 and 7, speaks about the, the thoughts and the intentions of man's heart were so evil and wicked that God was grieved that he'd ever made man. We live in evil times. We live amongst evil rulers. And the words from uh, the words from Paul are, do, first of all, and, and I'm, I'm praying that young people hear me today, 
is do not be overcome by evil. It is very easy to be overcome by evil. Uh, uh, most people will know that I'm into fishing and most people will know I like trout fishing. And uh, there's a very, very painful day in Tasmania when what actually happens is they open uh, a gate at, at the Liaweenie Canal from the Great Lake. And what happens is all the trout are waiting at the gate because what they do is they swim up this canal against the current. They swim against the current all the way up into the Western Lakes. And it's a big show and everybody comes and watches. But it's heartbreaking because you fish these lakes all year. And I don't see fish that big, right? But they're swimming up because they're going up every year to the same place to spawn. And if you've watched nature documentaries of salmon, they swim up against the current. They're jumping up over waterfalls. They're dodging the bears and the eagles. And that can sometimes be what it feels like living the Christian life. Because being overcome with evil can sometimes be as simple as just relaxing and going with the flow of the world. What Paul is urging here to each and every one of us is don't allow yourself, don't allow your attitudes and don't allow your actions to be pressured by the evil world around you to do anything contrary to the gospel transformed life. Do not be overcome by evil. We are all engaged in a battle. More about that later. And what Paul is highlighting here in these verses, we had a, we had a phrase in the AFL where you were told not to play the man, but to play the ball. If you come into a pack and you crash a pack and wipe everybody out, but you've got your eyes on the ball, that's okay. If you come crashing into a pack, fists and elbows flying everywhere, and you lay everybody out and your eyes are on the man, you're going to be asked to go home. Or forced one way or the other. Do not be overcome by evil. And this word overcome is definitely a military term which speaks about being overpowered. Do not be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with good. We live in times uh, which seem very disparaging. We live in times of, <laughs> I actually feel that there's a little bit more hardship coming on the Western world through COVID, but uh, if I can be an optimist, um, I hold great hope. I hold great hope for the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, he is building his church. He doesn't need us to do it anyway. But I actually see COVID as an enormous tool in the hand of God that he's got his church on the anvil and he's beating out some of the dents. He's ironing out some of the wrinkles and I have found, and uh, speaking to other pastors, we have all found the same thing, that through the course of COVID, uh, that line that Jesus drew has become ever more bolder and clearer You're of which side you sit on. You see, when the boats are rocking, it's good to have Jesus in the boat. Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I wanted to highlight how it is that we can do this because often we make the mistake. Uh, often we make the mistake that scripture is filled with mass movements of God. That's actually not the case. The scripture is filled with individuals who decided, I'm going to take a stand for God, and then God worked powerfully through them. We're going to have a look at four men that did that today. We're going to have a look at four men that found themselves in one of the most evil regimes of that time and in one of the most evil cultures that you could imagine. Uh, that culture was the Babylonian culture. That leader was King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Bit of a tongue full. I don't know why they couldn't have had Smith and Jones, right? <clears throat> but if you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to flick to uh, the book of Daniel. And we're going to work our way, particularly through the verse, first four, four chapters, very, very quickly today. I don't want to, uh, because we don't have a night service now, I have an extra hour to preach. The elders told me you can, you can take an extra hour to preach. So, uh, But they also said, look, you preach as long as you like, Pastor, but we leave at 11. Now... <laughs> Uh, just a little bit of context here when we come to Daniel. Daniel, um, first of all, everybody thinks that the, that the book of Daniel is a book about Daniel. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a book about Daniel at all, actually. Uh, the book of Daniel is a book that records an awesome, powerful, glorious, sovereign God who chooses to powerfully, supernaturally impact a very evil culture through four men who decided, I'm going to take a stand for God. Before we go any further in the book of Daniel, I want to challenge everybody here to ask yourself what line it is that you stand on. What side of that line are you standing on? Because there is no grey zone. There is no demilitarised zone. There is no we float our way onto heaven. You are in an active role on one side or the other. Now, Daniel is at best 16 years of age. When Young people, I hope you're hearing me this morning. He was at best 16 years of age when he was taken into exile in Babylon. He was taken away from his family. He was taken away from the temple. He was taken away from his homeland. He read the prophecies of Jeremiah, which said, by the way, while you're in Babylon, get comfortable. Everybody's thinking this is only going to be a couple of weeks. This is only going to be a couple of months. No, no, no. Daniel said to them all, I've read the prophecies of Jeremiah. He told us to buy property. Get comfortable. King Nebuchadnezzar sacks Jerusalem in the first year of his reign. Why? Because King Jehoiakim was a rebel king. You see, he was a puppet king put in place by Babylon. Here, you can take care of Jerusalem. Well, after a period of time, he thought, well, I'm better than all of you lot. God surely won't let Jerusalem be sacked. And so he lobbed the bird, uh, respectively, at Nebuchadnezzar. And, of course, we know that Nebuchadnezzar violently took hold of Jerusalem. Uh, King Jehoiakim, for those that like their history, the last thing he saw was his two sons killed just before Nebuchadnezzar burnt his eyes out with a hot poker. Welcome to the real world. Welcome to the world where life is cheap. Welcome to the world where sin has consequences. Welcome to the world where there's a line drawn in the sand and four men have to make a decision. I don't know about the rest of them, but I know that four men were faced with the decision and Daniel was one of them. And for those that know what a eunuch is, Daniel was placed in the charge of the chief of eunuchs. Do the math. Although he spoke of a time when the restoration of Israel happened, and although he was alive when it happened under the fourth king that he would serve under, he will never return to Jerusalem. But it doesn't change Daniel at all. In fact, it solidifies his stand. Wow. Now, I was thinking many stupid things when I was 16, but this wasn't one of them. But something happens to Daniel. Let's read. As you read through, you'll find that uh, Daniel's taken into exile. Then we come down to verse 7 of chapter 1. It says, And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. I know, what's wrong with Peter and Michael? I get it. <clears throat> 
Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego, not Abednego, that's a place in Victoria. <coughs> Azariah, he called Abednego. And now we have four guys, and although we might read that passage and go, so what? What's the big deal? In ancient times, your complete identity was wrapped up in your name. Jesus' name wasn't an accident. His parents didn't get there and go, eh, I might call him Jesus. No, he was given that name and they were told to call him that. John the Baptist's dad was told, you've got to call him John. And because I can't trust you, the angel said, I'm going to have to shut you up for a while. Names were enormously important. In fact, your complete identity was wrapped up in your name. What's going on here? Uh, the, the trait of the Babylonians was that they would conquer a land. They would take the best people of that land back with them. And then they would indoctrinate you with the Babylonian culture. Uh, they would give you new names, which meant we want to give you a whole new identity. We will force you to eat our food. We will force you to think our thoughts. We will force you to worship our gods. Wow. But amidst that culture, four men stood up and said, I don't care what you call me and I don't care what you think. My identity, I know who I am and my identity is not wrapped up in Babylon. And all that the church today would stand up and say, I don't care what the world calls me. I don't care what they are trying to pressure me into. I know who I am and I'm going to take a stand on that. We need more young people that can stand up in their generation and say, I don't care what the world says is acceptable. We're going to get to that in a moment. I don't care what the world calls us. I don't care what the world tries to wrap our identity up in. I am a child of the almighty God. For those that love the the Bourne movies, anybody watch the Jason Bourne movies? I've watched every one of them. Deeply, deeply theological. If you haven't watched Jason Bourne, Jason Bourne and The Matrix. Deeply biblical movies. <laughs> if you believe that, you believe anything, right? But interesting, uh, I've watched the first movie a few times. Uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you for a sec. I'll get back to preaching in a minute. But uh, uh, in the first movie, what are we introduced to? We're introduced to this guy who's floating on the ocean. Uh, an incident has happened. When he's taken up out of the ocean, he's placed upon a boat. He's put on dry land. And what happens? He's got no idea who he is. Do you know that Jason Bourne, the first movie, is a very deeply profound message to the rest of the world? The rest of the world is just like Jason Bourne. They're wandering around and they're getting pieces and snippets. There's clues all around them to who they are. And just like Jason Bourne, you ever found out, I know it was the case for me, that when I began to find out who I truly was, I didn't like it. Jason Bourne begins to find out who he really is. And everybody in the world is like, I get these snippets, I get these ideas that I belong to something better, right? Uh, that I'm more than just flesh and bone, that I couldn't have got here by accident. And all these bits and pieces come together and, and he's trying to find his identity. But the reality is until people pick up this book here and are introduced to the person who this book is all about, you will have no idea who your identity is. My testimony is this. When I picked up this book, everything started to make sense. When I found out about the person of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden I found out who I was. I had an identity. Praise God it wasn't shooting people. We'll leave that one alone. Very unpastoral in a moment. Verse 8. Moving on. But Daniel, 
Here's this word, the whole book of Daniel spins, I believe, on this one verse and this one word. Daniel resolved. We need some more resolve in our lives. I need more resolve in my life. But Daniel resolved to do something. He said, I'm going to Babylon. You can take me to Babylon, but I've resolved that I am not going to defile myself. And that word defile is very interesting because it's not actually speaking about an open, blatant, wicked, sinful act. That's not what defile means. It speaks about being polluted or it speaks about being stained. Uh, In Tasmania, uh, there are certain lakes that you are not allowed to take a boat on. And there are other lakes now, I think they have eradicated it completely, where unless you have a four-stroke outboard, you can't take it on the lakes because of the pollution that they deem that comes from the two-stroke engines. What what Daniel and his three friends have decided is, you know what, Uh, we might be in Babylon, but that doesn't change who my God is. We might be here in exile, but that hasn't changed God. And, and, And you can take me to the other ends of the earth if you like, but you can't take me away from the presence of God. And I'm going to live for God right here. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I don't care how much the world wants to pollute me and stain me. I'm going to keep myself for God. Daniel says, I've resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. What's the big deal? Eat up, Daniel. You deserve it. For those that know what eunuch means, he probably deserves a good feed. But what's the problem with the king's food? Well, Daniel knew straight away. First of all, Daniel's like, this food ain't kosher. First thing that him and his three friends have decided is we wouldn't eat that food back in Jerusalem. What makes you think it's okay now? I love the biography of Keith Green, by the way. His wife wrote that biography and she summed his life up with two words. No, compromise. I wish the Lord had left Keith Green here for a little bit longer. No, compromise. I'm not going to eat the king's food. Why? One, well, I wouldn't have eaten it if I was back in Jerusalem. And two, I know that before you put that on the table, you sacrifice it to your gods with a small g. So therefore, I am not going to compromise. I'm going to eat kale. Love one another, brother. (laughs) But hey, he ate kale and he was stronger than all the rest. Had to be a miracle, right? Okay, moving right along. Uh, What I love about this is the best way to understand this, I can't remember where I heard this, but I've decided that this is now uh, part of what really governs my life. What we see here with Daniel and his three friends is you take us wherever you like. We're not really interested in poking holes in everything you do. You do whatever you want, but we're going to live a life with what I like to call a straight stick. You see, Daniel didn't go out of his way to tell them how they were doing everything wrong and how evil they were and how stupid their gods were, because they were. Okay. Daniel didn't bother with any of that. He just said, I'm going to live this life. I'm going to lay down a straight stick. And you see, we don't have to run around telling everybody about the crooks and the bends in their stick. God has called us to live a gospel-transformed life which lays down a straight stick. Does that mean you're perfect? No, but you're heading in the right direction. 
Maybe what the world would like to hear, instead of hearing everything that we're against, what about we start telling the world what we stand for? How about instead of telling them everything they're doing wrong, how about we highlight the truth? We live in a culture even today where truth could certainly be highlighted. But have a look at what happens. Daniel and his three friends decide we are going to lay down a straight stick. But I love what happens next. Before we get too far, I'm going to give you a little bit of a taste bite. King Nebuchadnezzar is the only pagan king recorded in scripture that is converted. And before you go, praise God, hallelujah, you need to read the story of how he became converted. He ate grass for seven years. It wasn't kale, brother. It was grass. God has a why. Uh, I'm going to throw a few things in here, but we're going to move very quickly through the next few chapters. I want to highlight because now what happens is four men have decided we're going to take a stand. And if you would like to say, well, who could we compare Nebuchadnezzar to? If you wanted to compare Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to somebody you could understand today, Kim Jong-un or whatever his name is in North Korea, that would be close. Go to North Korea and try preaching the gospel. See if you come home. Go to China. Do you know right now that the greatest revival that has ever been recorded in history is currently happening right now, but it's happening in China. Thousands of people are coming to Christ each and every day, and yet they're underground. You put pressure on the church, you get a group of people that say, we're going to take a stand. You watch what God does. Well, let's have a look at what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. In the second year, please underline that first verse of chapter 2. He's a very young king, Nebuchadnezzar. In the second year, he's got a lot to learn. He's going to learn it the hard way. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Now, let's do a little bit of context here. Uh, Particularly in the Old Testament, God often spoke to people in dreams. Um, Islam today proclaimed that the only way God speaks to people is through dreams because they believe that the veil is still up. The veil between man and God is still up. So God doesn't communicate openly to man. He communicates in dreams. (laughs) That's okay. That's why Muslims today are having dreams of this person called Jesus. There's a testimony of one man who says, uh, I started having dreams of Jesus when I was in Iran. Goes to his mum and says, who is this Jesus? I keep dreaming of this Jesus. She says, never mention that name to your brother or your father. In the end, she puts him on a plane, sends him to America to school and says, don't don't ever mention that. While he's in America, after seven years, he's converted. Somebody said to him, "What's what's the biggest change in your life since you came to Christ? He says, I stopped dreaming. Every night for seven years, he had a dream of this person, Jesus. He now goes back to Iran, taking the gospel. God speaks in dreams. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. His dream is a very powerful dream of, of a statue. And we won't go into the statue. We won't go into the empires, the Perdomesians and all that sort of stuff. And, and the iron and the clay, speaking of Rome and, and Jerusalem and how they were kind of joined but didn't mix, all that sort of stuff. I get all that. We won't go into that, but he has a dream. Because you know what? Daniel didn't cause him to have a dream. Daniel wasn't even praying for Nebuchadnezzar to have a dream. God in his glorious, infinite sovereignty and power says, I am going to move in this evil place. Nebuchadnezzar begins to have a dream. Then he says, (laughs) I actually like the man for this. He says to all these magicians and necromancers and wise men, he says, you guys only tell me what I want to hear. I'm paraphrasing now. He says, you guys only tell me what I want to hear anyway. So now I want you to not only tell me the interpretation, but tell me the dream. <laughs> and stick that in your pipe and smoke it. 
Every one of them say, there's no possible way that we could do this. Uh, You're talking about uh, somebody who knows the gods like, (laughs) no, nobody could do this. And and of course, uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't do it, then all of you will be torn limb for limb. Just as an FYI, that included Daniel and his three mates. And when they come to Daniel, Daniel says, hey, give me a little bit of time here. I'm going to throw in a little bit of a digression, a little bit of a a bone for the pastor. Uh, Daniel goes and gets his life group. And he says, you three guys, we've got a problem here. We need God to intervene and give us a hand. Because we're going to be killed unless Nebuchadnezzar is told his dream and interprets it. Daniel's given the interpretation. If you read the rest of chapter 2, you will find that Daniel stands before him, tells him what his dream is, and then tells him the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar thinks and proclaims, there is no God like Daniel's God. You will be elevated, but that doesn't change Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Very interesting. That would have been enough for me. If you can come and tell me my dreams, the ones when I don't eat pizza late at night, but tell (laughs) tell me the real ones. Moving right along, we're going to come to a, to a conclusion in a moment. Chapter 3, I love chapter 3. How many people like chapter 3? We all know chapter 3, right? What happens? Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to set up an image of myself. And when everybody blows these long elongated horn things uh, and all the instruments that you'll bow down and worship. When the worship team start, everyone's got to worship this image. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. <clears throat> But of course, uh, they conspired maliciously. If you read the scriptures, you'll find that those in, the t- in Babylon at that time, they conspired maliciously against the Jews. We want to get rid of these guys. So what do they do? They make it known to Nebuchadnezzar that uh, they won't fall down and they won't worship. Nebuchadnezzar brings them in. Uh, these guys weren't known for mucking around, by the way. Nebuchadnezzar's got a name to make. Verse 14 of chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's having a rest, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up for you? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and the guitar, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good, he says, but if you do not worship... You shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who? Uh, this wasn't a very wise statement by Nebuchadnezzar. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Bet you were thinking that one over when he was chewing on grass. Shadrach. Verse 16. And young people, I hope you hear me this morning because it's very important that you begin to understand and declare who it is that you will worship or what it is that you will worship because this world offers many things to worship. Career, success, money. That's just a few. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Or to put it in uh, 21st century terms, whatever. Verse 17, if this be so, our God whom we... I love these words. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, (laughs) but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We all know what happens, right? 
Nebuchadnezzar cranks the flames up a little bit like Queensland in the middle of the summer. No aircon down in there, chucks them all in. The guys that chuck them in, they die. Nebuchadnezzar looks at the burning fiery furnace. What does he see? He doesn't see three men anymore. He sees four and one like the son of God. What's going on here? And when they take those three men out of the burning fiery furnace, what do they find? Not a hair on their head is singed, but only the ropes that bound them. Sometimes God needs to take us through the fiery furnaces of life to burn off the ropes that so often bind us. That's just a digression. How do we overcome evil? Wait for it for a moment. I want you to begin thinking about the people in your life that there is no hope they could ever possibly come to Christ. Because we're coming to a moment. Daniel might have said, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, he, 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 he will never be converted. Well, I wonder. You don't know how you're impacting people's lives. Nebuchadnezzar, again, he praises the God of these three guys. They're not hurt. Chapter 4, verse 4 begins like this. Spare a thought for Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Sounds a little bit like most people in Brisbane. You see, the enemy doesn't want to do anything more than make you comfortable in your sin so you float on into eternity in comfort. The enemy can keep you comfortable. I was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in the bed and the fancies of the vision. Now, the, the dream this time, see how God doesn't leave him alone? The dream this time is, <clears throat> this time he dreams of a tree that grows huge, got branches and limbs everywhere, and it's a reference to his kingdom. And then he sees it cut down, not quite all the way, but cut down and a stump is left and... Then finally, uh, once again, they come back round to Daniel. I'm paraphrasing now. And Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, he says, you know what? I actually hope this isn't about you because this dream is pretty clear to me that God's going to take this all away from you. Nebuchadnezzar stands on the top of his palace and says, have a look, have a look at the kingdom that I have made. Uh, the, the reality is that our life here on earth is spent either expanding God's kingdom or attempting to expand our own. Read these words from Daniel, verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king, it is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And a bit of kale if you don't behave yourself. And you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know, till you know, till you know God has a way, till you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Verse 27, there's a very powerful word in this verse. Verse 27 says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins. There's an opportunity here. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that perhaps, perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Now for those that are unaware or if you want to read 
the rest of the chapter when you get home. Nebuchadnezzar loses his reason. He is sent out. His hair grows as long as eagles' wings and his nails as long as a bear's. But I love the words of how this story ends. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me. The chapter ends with Nebuchadnezzar saying, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. As I bring this to a close, I'd ask the worship team if they can come and prepare to help us finish off. I want to bring this to a close. We live in an evil generation. But I believe the call of the gospel is to take a stand for Christ. I believe that the way that we overcome is by living the gospel. I ask everybody here this morning, what side of the line do you stand on? As I said before, the Bible is not filled with mass movements of God Rather, it is filled with individuals who took a stand for God. Elijah took a stand for God and revival occurred in Israel. Jeremiah took a stand for God and nobody was ever converted. Twelve men, reduced down to eleven, decided, you know what, we're going to take a stand for Jesus Christ because we know that tomb is empty. And through those eleven men, which became 120 people in the upper room, From those 120 people, God absolutely radically transformed. The nation around them. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would draw that line in each and every one of our hearts here this morning. I pray, Lord God, that you would so empower and equip us that, Lord God, we would overcome evil by the good life that we live. Jesus, we want to live for you. Jesus, we are, we are, we are broken vessels, but we want to live for you. We want to lay down a straight stick in this generation. And we hold great hope for a God who can move powerfully and supernaturally right here in this community. We believe, Lord God, that you can impact the lives of every single person in Brisbane by your body deciding we're going to take a stand for Jesus. We're not going to be polluted by the world. We're not going to flow back downstream and we're not going to be pressured into changing our attitudes and actions. Transform our hearts, we pray. We pray to live for you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.